0: You can be seated. I invite you to take your Bibles, open to the book of John, chapter 18. John, chapter 18. We all have decisions to make in our lives, whether it's the decision to order Mexican food or pizza. You can do that at the same place now. Did you know that? Whether it's the decision to listen to what your friends are saying and stray from the Christian faith or the decision to stay faithful. Whether it's the decision as a teenager to go ahead and yield to temptation in the area of morals. Whether it's the decision as an adult to fudge a little bit on our income tax or to fudge a little bit on our expense report. There are all these decisions that we're bombarded with every single day. Today I want to start a series that's going to lead us into Easter called Crossroads, Life-Changing Decisions. If you have your uh sermon notes there on the back we've got a summary of what we're going to be looking at we're going to start this week by looking at peter and how he made the decision the wrong decision to deny christ then the next week we will look at Pilate and how he listened to what people were saying and didn't make what he knew to be the right decision but he let people sway him and influence him then we're going to look at john and the women who stayed at the cross talk about the decision to be and remain faithful we're going to look at joseph and nicodemus who followed Christ from a distance, but ultimately, in the end, they made the decision to do the right thing. And then for Easter Sunday, we will close with Mary Magdalene and her decision to believe the resurrection and to share it with others. Let's begin in John chapter 18 and look at this first life-changing decision, Peter's decision to deny Christ. Look with me at verse 15 in John 18. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. And that disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. So he went with Jesus to the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was at the the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl, who was the doorkeeper, said to Peter, You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the slaves in the temple police had made a charcoal fire and because it was cold, and they were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them, warming himself. The Bible goes on to record here in this passage... How Jesus was taken before Annas the high priest and he was questioned, he was, he was interrogated. A totally uh, illegal trial, illegal about the time, illegal the, the, the place, the circumstances. Jesus was run through this kangaroo court and the description of that encounter with Annas is shared in this next passage. But if you'll pick up the, the, the discussion in verse 25 there, as Peter is standing outside while all this is going on inside the house of, of Annas the high priest. The Bible says, now Simon Peter, verse 25, was standing warming himself. And they said to him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? Now we have a group saying that to Peter. And he denied it and said, I am not. The second denial. One of the high priest's slaves, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again. and Immediately, the rooster crowed. Jesus had told Peter, this is what's going to happen. And we're going to look at that passage in a minute. And look at the the denial that Peter makes. And make some application for our life today. So let's begin, number one, with the descent into denial. What led Peter? What was the the downsliding of progression? As Peter had made this affirmation that he would follow Christ, but ultimately here at the the most difficult, strategic, critical hour, his decision to deny Christ. First of all... um, the servant girl. By the way, this account is recorded in all four Gospels. Do you know that there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all four of them look at the life of Christ from a different perspective? They saw some things differently, and they interpreted them in such a way through the characteristics and their lifestyle and their background, and they wrote those Gospels to appeal to different crowds, different groups. All four of them, when all four Gospels include a story, you know it's important. How would you like to be Peter? Peter. And all four decide they're going to write about your downfall. Well, that's what they did. First of all, the slave girl at the gate, and all four gospels give a a little bit different slant on what happened there, but it's all the the same story. First of all, the slave girl, the gatekeeper, the doorkeeper, knows the, the other apostle, the other disciple, John, who wrote the book of John. He refers to himself all through the book of John as the disciple Jesus loved or the other disciple. John knew the high priest and he's able to get in the courtyard and apparently Peter was stopped there and, and he comes and vouches for Peter and Peter gets in. She says, aren't you one of them? He says, no, I'm not. Then they're in the courtyard warming himself by the fire, the second denial and, and apparently that slave girl or another slave girl encourages, yes, this is the guy and so there are other people there at the fire and, and so together they're saying, you're, you're one of his disciples and Peter says, I'm not. And then ultimately, they have an eyewitness apparently, someone who was in the garden Another gospel tells us it was Malchus, the, and one of his relatives there saw Peter with the sword. Remember as they came to arrest Jesus, Peter grabbed that sword and, and he sliced off his ear. He wasn't aiming for his ear. He was, he was aiming for the guy's head, and apparently he ducked and got his ear, and apparently one of the relatives was there and saw it because he says, Peter, uh, you're the, or he says, this is one of the disciples. I know he was there, and Peter denies it. At, at this point, one of the other Gospels tells us that Peter curses and swears, and that's not a cursing and swearing like we talk about it, but swearing by, by, uh, by God that he's not telling a lie that it's the truth, and, 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 and calling a curse upon himself. If I'm lying, let God curse me. That's what Peter, he's so adamant about this lie that he's telling, I'm not the one. Well, how in the world did Peter get there? Well, let's begin with what we see peter doing he placed his confidence in the flesh and there's application here how can we as followers of christ keep from finding ourselves in that place where we deny him be careful about placing your confidence in the flesh hold that place in chapter 18 and turn with me to chapter 13 verse 36 chapter 13 verse 36 This is after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He's mentioned to them, preached to them, driven the point home with the importance of servanthood. In verse 36, Lord Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? (laughs) And Jesus answered, where I'm going, you you cannot follow me, but you will follow later. Lord Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter is boasting, we know from the rest of the story of the life of Peter through all of the Gospels that Peter was that one who just, he was the one that opened his mouth first. He was one of those people who speaks and then thinks. Someone said Peter was the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. I like that. Because that's where his foot always was. Peter boasting, and, and he's not just expressing in John chapter 13 his faithfulness to Christ. I, I believe Peter's saying, not me, Lord. These other guys might mess up, but not me. I'll follow you. I'll lay down my life for you. And then those words, those prophetic words in verse 38, Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? In other words, it's a rhetorical question. Basically, Jesus is saying, oh, really? How'd you like to hear that from Jesus? Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll lay down my life for you. Oh, really? Man, that just cuts to the heart. That's what he's saying to him. He says, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. That's why in chapter 18, John records that the rooster did crow. And there's a remembrance to Peter as, he, as what, he had, what he had said to Jesus. Placing confidence in the flesh. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus says, Simon, Peter, Satan's going to sift you like wheat. In other words, you're going to be tested. and You're going to fail the test, Peter. How would you like to have that word? What is that, how does that come to Peter? It comes to Peter because Jesus is saying, Peter, you're boasting in yourself. You're placing your confidence in the flesh. He was always the one. To step out. And we, we brag on him about a man of faith. You know, he's gonna walk on the water, he's gonna do all these things. I think it, it was Peter just placing his confidence in himself. How often do we do that? Lord, you can count on me, man, I'll do it. Well, sometimes those, Lord, you can count on me and I will do it are all eye centered. I, I, I. You know what the middle letter in the word sin is? <laughs> That's no coincidence. I. You go back and you trace the fall of Satan from heaven as Lucifer. And basically what he said is, I will be just like God, I. Somebody said he had eye trouble. you have eye trouble? I think Peter had eye trouble. Not the kind that gets fixed with these. I go to the eye doctor this week. I'm hoping to get some new ones. I'm hoping they're going to say, oh, your eyes have changed so drastically. We're going to really fix them, and you're going to be able to see 2020. I don't know that that's going to happen. I'd love that. Not this kind of eye trouble. I trouble where I'm number one in my life. See, when I center my existence around me, I'm setting myself up for a fall every time. Be careful about placing your confidence in the flesh. Number two, Peter's second error, following Christ from a distance. Following Christ from a distance. As Mark tells this story in chapter 14 of Mark, it says it that way exactly. As, we're, as Mark is telling about the crucifixion events, and just like John is recording in chapter 18, Mark says, Peter followed Jesus at a distance. As you read his account in John's gospel, he's there where Jesus is on trial, but he's at a distance. He's over here by the gate. He's over here with the soldiers or the servants of the high priest, He's, he's close, but he's not completely in the presence of Christ. Did you know, even as a believer, we can live the Christian life that way? We can, we can step out and we can cross that line of salvation and say, I am on board now. I'm a follower of Christ. I belong to him. But then we just slowly back away and follow him from a distance. There's a road somewhere in Central America called the Road of Death called that way because so many people go over the side. The ones who go over the side are the ones who just stay as far away from the, the mountain as they can, and they're right up on the edge. The ones who survive that stay as close to the mountain as they can and as far from the edge. Where do you live your Christian life? On the edge? The distance from Jesus? As far away from him so as to, to not let your friends and family and coworkers and acquaintances realize that you're different? But you want to stay close enough to where you're going to go to heaven so Jesus will remember you. Where are you? Peter's second problem was he followed Christ from a distance. We've said enough times around here, but I'm going to say it again. It's not about the things you do or don't do. You say, Well, Pastor, I'm at church every Sunday morning. I'm there every time the doors are open. I'm there. I go to prayer meetings. I do this. I'm not asking about what you do. It's not about activity, it's about heart. Do you know that you can be in church on Sunday morning and your heart be as distant as the guy that's out there fishing? Or whatever. So you can be physically here and you think, oh, God's going to be pleased with me because I'm following him closely. Not necessarily. You know how I know that? It's because I've sat in church many times. And I know my heart can be other places. And I know when an appeal, an appeal is made And God's tugging at my heart. I know it's not there. It's not receptive. That's why I pray every Sunday morning. Lord, soften our hearts. Let these words that we speak be pleasing. Let let our hearts be receptive. The psalmist prayed, Open the eyes of my heart that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I pray that. God, open my heart up. Where's your heart today? I also know that we can follow Jesus from a distance with our heart because every Sunday morning... There are decisions that need to be made for Christ, and we hold back. We hold back. You say, well, pastor, we're praying for those people to walk that aisle and get saved. I pray that every Sunday morning. God get a hold of their heart. You know why some of those folks don't respond? Because God's waiting on you to respond. He's waiting on the people of God to yield their hearts to him. He's waiting for the people of God to get right with him. Say, God, here's my heart, not just my physical presence in this place we call your house, but here's my heart. Third thing Peter did he sat down in the company of Christ's adversaries. Sitting down in the company of Christ's adversaries. Back in John chapter 18. Verse 26, he's there with the high priest's slaves. Verse 18, or I'm sorry, yeah, verse 18 says, he's there with the fire, standing there with them. With them. Mark chapter 14 says, he was sitting with the temple police. Luke records this same story, and he uses a great phrase. He says, Peter was among them. He was among them. That means that he was not just there, but he was a part of the, what they were doing and saying. I don't know, it's, you have to read between the lines, but how much of the dialogue was Peter interacting with them? Just kind of getting in there, being one of the boys, one of the guys, just trying to fit in, because it's a lot better when you fit in, isn't it? Instead of sticking out like a sore thumb. So Peter's fitting in. He's among them. And that's when they start calling him out. Isn't it interesting that some slave girls, possibly one, maybe two, and some servants of the high priest... Were the ones that put so much pressure on Peter that he was willing to swear that he was not one of the followers of Christ. Some have said maybe Peter was, was preparing for a real frontal attack from the guards and he was going to defend himself there, but those people who didn't mean much were the ones that caused him to falter. I don't know. But he was among them, and he didn't need to be among them. You know where Peter needed to be? He needed to be in Hannah's house. He needed to be right there standing with Jesus, saying, These are lies. These are lies. He's God in the flesh. These are lies, but he didn't. Christian, be careful that we don't end up doing what Peter did. All these I could list more, but just listing these three: placing your confidence in the flesh, following Christ from a distance, and sitting among those who don't follow Christ. Now I need to be careful here to let you know that I'm not saying don't associate with people who are unbelievers. You know me, you know I wouldn't say that. We challenge our church all the time, get involved in the lives of unbelievers. Do you know why most churches plateau? Because they reach people who then become friends with the people in the church and they no longer have relationships with people outside the church. Think about your circle of friends. Are they unchurched people or church people? If they're mostly church people, you need to incorporate some unchurched people, some, some unbelievers, some people who aren't followers of Christ. So I'm encouraging everybody to do that. But there's a difference in doing that and abandoning your Christian faith so much that you become immersed in their lifestyle. I love the story about the two guys at work, and, and one guy had been deciding that he was going to live the Christian life and, and, and let his witness be what impacted his coworkers. So he lives the Christian life, and he prays about witnessing and sharing Christ with his friend, but it just takes forever. And he's, Lord, you use my life to influence them, and they'll, they'll come to know you because my light will shine. And so finally, the guy gets up the nerve to tell his friend, uh, I'm a Christian. And the other guy says, well, I'm a Christian too. I was waiting on you. He says, no, I was waiting on you. He says, well, I didn't see much difference in your life, and I didn't see much difference. In but here, what you find is two backslidden believers. Neither one of them really was living the kind of life that brought honor to Christ that one thought he was, but there was no difference. If your coworkers, if your friends had to look at your life and say, what's different about that life? What would they notice? That you go to church? That you're a member of a denomination? Maybe that you have a title at church, like deacon or teacher or leader or whatever? Or would they notice a difference in your life? Would they notice a difference in the way you do business? Breaks my heart every time I hear someone say, and I get word. You know, I rarely do people come to me. It kind of comes to me. You know how people do. I finally get word that so-and-so goes to your church, yet they have a bad reputation in the community the way they do business. So-and-so goes to your church, but they don't pay their bills, those kind of things. Breaks my heart. You know the world is watching us. And, and we have to be careful that we don't adopt the world's philosophy and lifestyle. Don't place your confidence in the flesh. Don't follow Christ from a distance. Lastly, don't sit down in the company of Christ's adversaries. Folks, that's a whole lot of bad news about Peter, isn't it? I'm glad the story doesn't end there. You know, Peter is one of those examples for all of us. That if there's hope for Peter, there's hope for me. So let's look now at the road to restoration. Number two, the road to restoration. How how did Peter finally get to a place where God used him? Because you know, he wrote some of the books in the New Testament. You know that he was one of the leaders in the church. How did Peter get from denying Christ and not just denying him, but denying him three times and swearing that he wasn't lying? How did he get from there to being used by God? First of all, he acknowledged his sin. Number one. If you want to be restored, and you've drifted, you're distant, you're a follower of Christ, you need to acknowledge your sin. In Luke chapter 22, the Bible says that as Jesus was coming out of the house of Annas, the high priest, and Peter's there warming himself by the fire, and Peter denies him three times, and the rooster crows. At that moment, Jesus, walking out, looks at Peter. The Bible says he looked at Peter, and Peter remembered his words. What words did he remember? He remembered the words from before when Jesus said, you're going to deny deny me. But that that word for looked at Peter is not a word of looking at Peter with condemnation. It's It's a word that means he just looked at Peter with compassion. Wasn't that great? Now think about this. Jesus is being roasted by the high priest who is a hypocrite. By the way, there's a whole other story here, but but. Jesus, when Jesus overthrew the money changers in the temple, that was Anna's whole business. That was his way of making money. So he had been for three years waiting for Jesus for a time to trip him up. So while Jesus is defending himself against this hypocritical high priest, Peter's out here sinning, a sin of denial. And as Jesus comes out, if, if I had been Jesus, and aren't you glad I'm not, I'd have been saying, Peter, what's up with you, buddy? How come you're not in here? But he didn't. He just looked at Peter with compassion. The Bible says Peter remembered those words. Mark says in in chapter 14 that when he saw Jesus and Jesus looked at him, he thought about it. You know what it means to think about it? That means you're thinking about how you've gone wrong and you're acknowledging your sin. I don't know this, but I think this, somewhere in the course of this morning, from the time you walked in here to this moment right now, God has pointed out a sin in your life, and he's been speaking to you about it, and you've been thinking about it. I know that happens in my life. I'm assuming it happens in yours. What what he's calling you to do there is acknowledge your sin. This may be a new one to you also. If he's speaking to your heart about a sin right now, the rest of what I have to say really isn't important to you. Because he's wanting to deal with you right there, right now. I found in my own life, to be open to what God wants to say, is when God points out a sin in my life, at that moment, just say, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. I acknowledge that's sin. Peter acknowledges it. You want to come back? Maybe you're astray. Maybe you're like the prodigal son. You have to acknowledge that you've gone away. I talked to someone this week, and they were talking about how things had happened in their life, and I just reminded them of that truth, that when when there's a distance in your relationship with God, guess who moved? Guess who moved? God hasn't moved. He's faithful. He's right there where he's always been. We're the ones who move. Will you acknowledge your sin? That just simply means to confess and say, God, I'm wrong. That's sin. That moves to the next step that's so important. It's a step of repentance. One word, repent. Repent. I want us to look at Matthew's record of this account in chapter 25 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 25, verse 75. Can you believe there are 75 verses in that chapter? They're not, so I wrote down the wrong one. I'm sorry, Matthew 26. That was just a test. Some of you are awake. Matthew chapter 26, verse 75. Immediately as the rooster crows in verse 74, Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Not just that he was broken. Matthew records that Peter went out and wept bitterly. We don't know where he went, outside the courtyard, in an alleyway somewhere, somewhere to get away, and he just broke down and sobbed. Now, sobbing is not always a sign of genuine repentance. I've seen lots of folks cry and still live their life the same way. I've seen lots of folks walk an aisle and cry, oh, I'm rededicating my life to Christ, and they go right back out and do the same thing. But often, when you find a believer broken and sobbing, it's because they are yielded to the Lord and they're willing to turn away. And I have evidence in Scripture that those tears were not crocodile tears, wherever that saying came from. I don't know. ever seen a crocodile cry? I haven't. Those weren't crocodile tears. Those were genuine tears of repentance and brokenness. You know what repentance is? It's to be going one way, to realize you're wrong and you stop and you turn around and you go the other way. It's to be walking away from God and to realize you're walking and to stop. A lot of people walk away from God and God convicts them of sin and they say, oh yeah, that's wrong. And they kind of look over their shoulder at the Lord and they just sort of keep walking. Sometimes they'll turn and face him, but they'll just keep walking. That's not repentance. Repentance is when you're broken enough to stop your sin. To turn back to God and to run toward him. Just like the prodigal son. I love that. He ran and his father ran to greet him. Repentance. You have to acknowledge your sin. You have to repent. That means to turn from it. I may be speaking to someone who's never trusted Christ as Savior. A lot of what we had to say today was to believers, but you may be here this morning and and you say, well, I'm a believer. I believe all that stuff because I've been to church a lot and I, I know those truths, but there's never been a change of heart. What what the call for you is to acknowledge that you need Christ and to be willing to turn from your life, to repent of your sin, and to turn toward Christ. And I love letter C. It's my favorite part. Receive God's forgiveness. Receive God's forgiveness. Now, even though the theologians say that when Jesus looked at, at Peter there in the in the court of the high priest, even when Jesus looked at him, even though the theologians say that was with compassion, that may not be enough for you. So look with me at John chapter 21. As John continues this story, here's more evidence that that was a look of compassion. John chapter 21 verse 15. This is after the crucifixion. This is after the resurrection. And Jesus has appeared to his disciples, and he's there with Peter. Look at verse 15. I love that, this, that Jesus showed up for breakfast. It's biblical to eat. That's good. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs or feed my sheep, he told him. A second time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Jesus used a couple of words for love there and I believe uses them synonymously as he talks, asks Peter about his love and calling Peter to, re, to this reminder of that level of love. But you know what's m- most exciting about that passage to me? It's Jesus knows the answer to the question before he asks it. He already knows Peter is transformed. He already knows that Peter is ready and willing to follow him. But Jesus gives him a chance to say three times, Love you, Lord. What's so good about that? If I'm Peter, I'm thinking, you know what? I denied him three times. And he just gave me a chance to tell him from the depths of my heart that I love him. He, he just gave me a chance with all these other disciples gathered around to hear me proclaim it from my heart. Lord, I love you. Now listen. Again, I'm, this is just me trying to connect some of these dots. I think it's significant that Peter's affirmation of his faith was not about doing something. Now, Peter, Jesus called him to do something, to shepherd his flock. But his affirmation of faith is about an expression of his heart. See, here's bold Peter. I'll follow you. I'll do anything for you, Lord. What's Jesus longing to hear from you? Lord, I love you. That's what he wants. See, did you know when you love someone, all the stuff that you do for them is just a natural outflow of love? I love my wife. I do things for her. Not because I have to, because I love her. I love this church. I love these people. I do things for you, not because I have to, but it's out of a heart of love. You want to come back and be in that place of obedience and and be in that place of blessing. Like Peter, you need to receive God's forgiveness. See, you may have fallen greatly. You may have denied Christ even. See, there's hope for Peter. There's hope for us. I love in 1 Corinthians when Paul is describing the resurrection of the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. And it says that he appeared to Peter or Cephas first and then the other disciples. It's like like Paul is reminding us that Jesus was affirming Peter's walk. That Peter had received his forgiveness and his blessing. Some of you may have even come to that place of repentance and and you have blown it and you have come to Christ and said, Lord, forgive me. Maybe what you need to hear today is receive his forgiveness. The Bible says it's a fact, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just or right To forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Take God at His Word. Receive His forgiveness. Peter, denying Christ, yet being restored to a place of usefulness. Where are you? Are you in one of those three steps of that that progression down? Are you in one of those three steps there of, of coming back to Him? doesn't matter where you are wherever you are stop make sure that wholeheartedly you turn to him and he will change your life there's a jail in boston it was a prison it's called the saint charles street jail it's held all kinds of notorious criminals over the years the the man who they wrote made the movie um, i wrote it down so I remember catch me if you can that that man was there uh, lots of famous people, famous, infamous people, criminals were there. Well, in the 1960s, the jail went into disrepair. In the 70s, it got even worse, uh, became a condemned building, and finally shut down. Someone went back in to this jail and spent $15 million to fix it up, not to be a prison, to be a luxury hotel. They had a big anniversary celebration of the, of the closing, I think, of the jail, and some of the inmates, uh, former inmates, went back, to view this luxury hotel that once was their prison. And I've got a quote of one of the guys as he walked through there. He said, wow. He said, how could you take something that was so horrible, that prison, and turn it into something of tremendous beauty? Answer to that one is $15 million. How about this one? How can you take someone whose life... Is characterized by sin. Someone who is in such a horrible state and transform that into a thing of beauty. You know what the answer to that is? Jesus. Transforming lives. That's what he wants to do today. Let's pray together.